Are you trying to conceive? Have you been told to just relax? It's such a common statement to hear along the fertility journey, and to some of us, it can be incredibly invalidating and frustrating because it isn't always that easy. However, is there something to this statement and concept? Does relaxing actually play a factor in trying to conceive? We talk about this as well as the concept of the fertility battery and the wisdom behind fertility energy. This is a game-changing episode, so let's dive in. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother, with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Today, we are going to be talking about that really annoying phrase, just relax, and how Mm -hmm. it plays into fertility. Because Mm -hmm. we were talking at the end of another podcast episode recently about how really, although that sentence is so invalidating when people are struggling to conceive, what the the meaning behind it is actually really smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually sort of exactly what you need to do in certain ways. And so we're going to break it down and talk about the energetics of fertility and what is required of a receiving woman in order to have a successful conception and implantation and pregnancy on the energetic plane and what that sentence just relax might actually imply. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, you know, my husband and I struggled with infertility for almost six years. I have been told plenty of times to just relax or go on vacation and do all the things that are the classic advice women who are struggling to conceive receive. And it can be infuriating. It can make you just want to, you know, scream. It's so frustrating because it just doesn't seem that simple when you're struggling with fertility. And it doesn't mean it always is, and it it wouldn't have necessarily been the case in my husband and I's situation. However, that advice is given so often because if you polled our population and asked, do you know of someone who just relaxed or went on vacation (laughs) and got pregnant? A lot of them probably know somebody where that happened to them. Or like the month that they stop trying, they get pregnant. Or when they now have an adoption that's... uh, you know, approved and is going through now they get pregnant and it's like, what is going on there? Yes, exactly. And oh my gosh, the amount of stories that I would hear, oh, as soon as my, you know, daughter-in-law stopped trying, they got pregnant or, you know, they went through the, they decided to do IVF and then got pregnant right before it, you know, all of these things. It's because stress is one of the most impactful factors on fertility. And we're going to talk a little bit about why, but it, The thing about stress is it's so fascinating. It is a physical thing and it is a mental, emotional thing and it's an energetic thing. And the reason why it is so impactful, I think, is because it spreads across so many of the different bubbles of our health with fertility. So let's just dive in here really quick. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Just really quick to stop you. I'd never really thought about stress like that. That is a really good point. It is one of the most insidious, like I think about it almost like a cancer. Mm -hmm. It spreading out its little tendrils and how it can just sort of infect and go, you know, incognito, 
how bad it can really be or all of the different levels of your life, your mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, energetics, that it can be impacting. And, you know, maybe it's just tipping your scale a little bit too much and then the, the wrong direction that your threshold's been met. Okay, now we're in a state, the body feels alarmed, the body feels like, there's no way I'm making a baby right now. Like we're in stress mode. And that's actually very natural and protective for our bodies to not get pregnant in a time period where we feel really stressed. Imagine this is, you know, tens of thousands of years ago or whatever, and we're out hunter gatherers or something, and it's a time of famine and we're not eating enough. And, um, this is him speaking to the intermittent fasting world and women's health that I'm still <laughs> yes. vehemently against with the fertility world, at least mm-hmm. is, you know, it's teaching our bodies it's sending this image to our bodies or not image, but a message. And then also with women in the workforce and these deadlines and quotas and schedules and this masculine energy, which I know you're going to touch on here soon, but it's this idea that we feel alarmed. We feel threatened. We feel in this constant state of stress for lack of a better word. And your body is not going to prioritize making a new baby to bring into that environment. I mean, it's brilliant. It makes sense. Otherwise Mm -hmm. we could be in really big, serious trouble and, you know, babies could be dying or mothers could be dying, et cetera. Like there's not enough resources in order to even just bring forth a new life. So we have to think about it. Why our bodies do this is really protective and adaptive. Mm -hmm. And then how can we kind of work with it, biohack it, understand it, bring a new whole philosophy into place when we are trying to get pregnant then living in this modern society where we do have to deal with these stressors, but how can we kind of mitigate or balance it out so that we're in a net effect that's better than worse, you know? Yeah, exactly. You're exactly correct in that this is an intelligent thing of the body to shut off reproduction. And it happens through scientifically what we call the HPAO axis, which basically means hypothalamic pituitary brain, adrenal, which is where your stress hormones come from, and ovaries, which is where you make eggs and become pregnant through. So when your body your body has two nervous systems, the sympathetic, which rules survival and the parasympathetic, which rules reproduction and nourishment. The body only prioritizes one at a time. So if you are in a state of survival, if you are stressed out, if your body is receiving the information that there is some threat outside of you, it will shut down reproduction because you have to pick one. You either have to run from the tiger, survive the famine, you know, keep yourself safe, or you're in a really safe, beautiful time of let's have babies. You know, think about animals in nature. You know, they're they're not going to stop mid running from a lion and go have sex really quick, you know, or think about just... like pandas in the zoos and how historically bad we've had bad of, um, breeding program rates that they've had for some reason, there's something about living in that artificial environment that is not working very well and doesn't work for many species, but specifically pandas, you know, I feel like we all know that example where it's, they're not feeling safe. They're not feeling like themselves and good and they're not mating and they're not having these live birth outcomes that at the rates that we would expect. And, it's, it's very mammalian. It's very animalistic. It's not like any shame to us necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just for the survival of our species. Yeah. So when we think about it from an evolutionary perspective, that's one element. And then we also want to think about fertility, like a battery. And we've talked about this on other podcasts, but basically 
like the video game analogy that I share, you have to have enough energy, enough battery power to jump from level to level, to go through the fertility space, to go from balancing your hormones, to optimizing your egg quality, to actually having an embryo be created and grow, to allowing that baby to grow through utero, to give birth, to have nourishment postpartum. These all require an energy to them. And there's things that block that energy and drain that energy. And there's things that build up your battery and charge you back up. And the body is intelligent and in that it's not going to let a, another being come in. That's going to take resources and energy. If you have a depleted battery, you have to have a place of surplus. You have to be fully charged in order to give to another. You cannot get from an empty cup. So when we talk about stress, stress is a huge uh, battery depleter and it depletes your battery because it drains your resources. It takes your nourishment, your essential vitamins and minerals that you need. It actually shoots out different hormones. It shuts off the hormones for fertility and shoots out different ones. It actually increases inflammation and inflammation we know impacts fertility. It works on all of these different mechanisms. So stress is one of the biggest battery depleters. So if we think about it from an evolutionary perspective, we prioritize survival over reproduction. If we think about it from an energy battery perspective, stress drains our battery and we have to have a surplus of battery energy for fertility. And then there's also this energetic part of stress and this comes more into the feminine and masculine dynamics that are at play. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with feminine and masculine dynamics, it's a way of looking at everything in life. You know, the yin and the yang, we've talked about this on other podcasts you've brought up in the Chinese medicine culture. They have different words for this. Um, there's different philosophies and lots of ancient cultures for the masculine and feminine. It does not mean male and female that the language in our English language makes it seem like that's the case, but it's not. Yeah. When you use yin and yang, it feels really separate from sex or gender or anything. Yeah. Yes. So yang is that masculine and yin is that receiving. And essentially let's just use the terms yin and yang. So just think yang means masculine, yin means feminine. So the yang energy is accomplishment. It's deadlines, it's structure, it's schedules, it's your calendar, it's the boss Black babes. White. It's yeah, it's doing, doing lots of just doing and, and lots of giving. Production, so making yes. things. So think a woman who's working, right? You know, you have meetings, you have deadlines, people are constantly needing things from you. You are giving, 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 giving. You have deadlines, structures. Even if your body doesn't want it, you are overriding what your body's saying to make things happen. And that is the majority of our culture. It's very yang. Yin, on the other hand, is very receiving. It's flow. There's no structure. It's just, it's creation. It's never ending. It's nature. It's, it's something that, that flexible, literally flowing. never dies. Yeah. It's flexible. It's, it's that battery receiving the charge from the electricity, right? So if your phone is being plugged into the wall, it's in a yin energy when it is receiving the charge, it's in a yang energy when it is streaming a movie for you. <laughs> so with fertility, if we are primarily in that yang energy, we are going to be what we call in our culture stressed because we're doing, 
we're exhausted. We're, we're constantly having things to do, you know, and someone says, well, what's stressing you out? A lot of times it's, well, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have this deadline. You know, this thing's happening. This like person needs this thing from me. Like a lot of it is yang energy and you must be in yin feminine or receiving energy to have a baby. That is the energy of fertility. And that's the energy of relaxing. That's the energy of being in flow. That's the energy of being on vacation for a lot of people. That's the energy of resting and sleeping and napping in the middle of the day. And all of these things that a lot of people say, oh, as soon as, you know, so-and-so stopped doing, as soon as you stopped trying to conceive, as soon as you stopped, you know, working, as soon as you stopped doing all of these yang energy things, that's when you got pregnant. It's right. because you because naturally we're... shifted into yeah. the yin. Just go ahead and relax. And it's like, okay, <laughs> sounds so easy. But it is really to get out of that constant do, 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 do. And just as a note, I mean, I, a lot of people know this, but just in case people don't, each individual person has their own balance of masculine and feminine or that yin and yang mm -hmm. within them. Like there's some women who are more masculine women, and that's fine. It doesn't mean that they're wrong for that. It's just that that's like their natural balance. But we can all be out of balance. We can all be too much in this masculine or we can foster a different ratio. You know, sometimes we have to pick up and get more masculine in order to get things done. Sometimes we can relax and kind of fall back into our feminine. Maybe that's during, you know, our cycle, our period or something like that, where we're just really feeling so kind of tired and we want to, we need to give into that. Whereas ovulation, you know, we have a lot of spark of creativity and we can like go do it, but million, million, million things. Although ovulation, this is kind of confusing. Ovulation mm -hmm. would be when you're going to conceive. So what's up with that? How does that okay. play with the masculine and feminine? Yeah. So if you think about it, which I don't know, but I just know a lot about different things. I would say that <laughs> ovulation, <laughs> I don't know. I would say ovulation is a state of, so leading up to ovulation is yang. Yes. In I my mind. Leading up so, to it is masculine. Yes. Yes. Because you're building, you're growing the whole part of the follicular phase, which is the, the part of the cycle before ovulation is a lot of building, doing, growing. I teach this in one of my courses as well, is that you're producing a lot of estrogen and estrogen naturally is more of a yang hormone. It's a builder. And yes. It's a builder. It builds your uterine lining. It builds, it grows tissue and you energetically and emotionally often feel much more wanting to go harvest, like, right? So evolutionarily, this would have been at the time that a woman would be gathering all of her berries and making everything like ready to go. This is the time when she pushes really hard because as soon as ovulation happens, she now needs to shift into yang to receive. And then progesterone, which is the hormone that's the second half of the cycle, is a very yin hormone. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm having an epiphany. <laughs> Hold on. Oh my gosh. It's literally like everybody's seen the graphs of the hormones in your cycle and how it peaks at ovulation. Then it goes back down. It's like ovulation is the precipice. Ovulation mm -hmm. is where the flip happens. The change happens. It's masculine, yes. masculine, masculine, or that yang, yang, yang for using two different terms. The second ovulation happens, it flips now in. So it's almost like ovulation in and of itself is sort of half. It's mm -hmm. half one and half the other. And we need to flip into that and we need to be like, okay, now we're receiving, we're open, we're receiving, we're relaxing, we're chilling, we're like being, and that doesn't mean like sitting on the couch. That doesn't mean like you literally don't do anything because that's not realistic. We have to be able to do our things, but it also means maybe prioritizing your schedule knowing your cycle. And in, there's a book, maybe it's Marie for Leo or I forget who's, who writes it. It's called do less. Do you oh. know what I'm talking about? Who wrote that book? Yes. I don't know. I think I know what you're but talking about, but I don't know. He talks about how she prioritizes and schedules out her tasks and different things in her month based on her cycle. Oh yeah. And 
And I mean, this isn't like new. I know you talk about this a lot in some of your courses too, but that is really fascinating to think about how ovulation is almost like where it changes. That is the point yeah. that it changes. And this is also such a delicate balance then because now we have sperm circulating, the, the mm -hmm. egg is there and it's like, okay, so where are we going to be at here? Like ideally we're sort of dropping now ourselves into this feminine. And, you know, a lot of people will feel in ovulation, they'll feel extra sexy and they, they mm -hmm. exude this sort of sexiness, whether or not they're even trying, they just do. Mm -hmm. And they are on top of it. They're sort of like thriving. It's like a couple of days of just feeling like you're peak thriving. Yes. And if we can sort of take that energy and work it in a way that feels good instead of be extra pushy, yes. maybe this can help increase that fertility energy. Yeah, exactly. So I do teach about this um, in my Moon Medicine course and my Lunar Rhythm Lifestyle course. So if you want to learn how the different hormones affect your mood and your life and how to plan your life and what things to eat and take, I have it all at womanhoodwellness.com slash courses. But basically, yes, you're right. And I agree with you. And you know, I know this so much. I've been teaching it for years, but there's always another layer that we learn as people. And so just like you saying that, I agree that a lot of women around their ovulation, they do have this surge of energy, this surge of creativity, this surge of all of that. And if you're not trying to become pregnant right now, capitalize on that, right? Write yeah, a book, totally you know, do, <laughs> do a job interview, have a date, yeah. like, you know, do these things. And I, I, like I said, I teach about how to do that, but it's correct in that if you are actually trying to conceive, don't do those things because doing those things are wonderful. And you get this like surge. Imagine it's like a supercharger, like a Tesla. If you go get like a supercharger Tesla yeah. right around ovulation, it's the energetics are set up such that you get an extra supercharge in your battery intentionally. Obviously let's think about the battery of fertility. You need to have a charged up battery to get pregnant. So you get a supercharge from the estrogen, from all of the, the testosterone boosts around that time. So you get a boost in energy and they're saying, take that boost of energy to receive it so that you can become pregnant. If you take that boost of energy and then go drain it by go doing a bunch of things and being masculine in the yang and go do, 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 because you feel so good, then you've now depleted your battery back down and fertility is not going to happen as easily. And yes, as soon as you ovulate, progesterone is the predominant hormone and it's super yin. This is why a lot of women feel much more inward the second half of their cycle. They don't want to go out to crazy parties. They want to organize their closet. Um, you know, they don't, they shouldn't be going to do these really yang exercises like orange theory or spinning super hard. It's much more of a yin time. And a lot of times we see women who continue to push and be yang and try to act the same as they do in the second part of their cycle when progesterone is high versus the first part is when we see a lot of PMS, you know, because premenstrual syndrome is what PMS stands for. But what I teach in my courses, it might stand for please move slower because, <laughs> Ooh, <I like> that. <laughs> because at the end of the day, that time of our cycle is really when we need to be going inward because you might be pregnant, right? So evolutionarily your body needs to conserve your resources, to yes. slow down and move into that feminine receiving energy because the week after ovulation is when an embryo, if you're trying to conceive and you've had sex at the right time, that's when an embryo is going to implant or not. And if you are blocking that from yang energy, from going, from stress, from depletion, it is going to say, nope, you are not in that receiving yin energy. We are not going to dock here. And instead, if you're moving slower, you're, you're reducing your stress, you're maybe on vacation or you're not saying yes to all of these crazy things or, or just giving and giving and giving, then it's going to say, oh, I can 
I can nestle into this receiving energy, this yeah. receiving nature. Like where a uterus can literally receive the floating around embryo and allow it to burrow in because that's what it has to do. It, it has to find its way onto your uterine wall and dig its little burrow. But yeah, yeah. That, that is so interesting because now, you know, I'm pregnant now again, and <laughs> I've been talking about... <laughs> <laughs> you have your fourth it's like oh god again okay <laughs> but so here we go again and i've been talking a lot about on my account lately my instagram account the sort of yin internal pregnancy mm -hmm. sort of i call it like a pregnancy introversion and i don't mean literally introverted because people being introverted doesn't mean that they're not energetic or something like that it's just that's the way that they source their energy or not but to me, that's just a good, what I'm trying to say is like an involution or like an internal energy shift where I, it's like the finite amount of creative energy that we have as people in general. Although in a cycling woman who's not pregnant and not on birth control, hers will wax and wane throughout the cycle. When you become pregnant because of high levels of estrogen, or sorry, of progesterone, well, and estrogen, mm -hmm. but really progesterone being the predominant one to progestate, progestation, pro-pregnancy. So progesterone, it's very, very high in pregnancy. And that's what's also high in that second half of the cycle, which you're talking about is when people need to be in and receiving so that that little baby can implant. And then once it does, and to maintain the pregnancy is to stay in this high progesterone state. It's so obvious to someone like me who is very energetic and extroverted. And I, I feel like I do ma operate my day in more of a masculine. I think I'm kind of balanced, but I'm, I would say maybe, I don't know, what would you say? I feel like I'm more masculine maybe, like I... I'm doing things constantly, not right this second, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I would say you do, but then you also have like a big, a yen part about you, which is probably why you get pregnant so easily because That's interesting. you're, That's I mean, you're just not as structured as yeah, I'm, like that's other so people you're that, so structured. That, you know, yeah, so I mean, I'm not that structured even. We know other people uh, who are much Leah, more structured. Let's not play yourself right now. I've always thought of you as such a feminine person because your your physical body you're so feminine in your expression, but you also are really you're just very balanced, I guess, then, because you are so good at the business side of things and all of the that keeping it all together. Sweet. But I oh don't see, I'm a, I'm a feminine. Okay. I'm a feminine with a mask of a masculine trying to survive oh, like oh. In a toxic way, sort of oh this is sort of that yeah we're not gonna go into it but like it comes from my childhood and how i received oh. love from my parents by achievement yes. and accomplishment so i put on more of a shell of of achievement but i think my core nature is more feminine i definitely have the creative side for sure yes but like more i'm I don't thrive actually in like rigid structure and things, which is why I have struggle in my life because I'm not very good at creating containers and boundaries. <laughs> but you are better than most people, I would have to say. Thank but anyways, it, it's interesting though now living in this and being so present to it because I just, I can recognize and be very in the moment that the drive and energy that I just had two months ago to put into my business and to put it in different things is like zapped. It's gone. It's all in my uterus now. It's yes. in my body. It's all of that. Imagine it's like a rock. It's a, it's a big boulder. There's a finite amount of this creative energy and it is being so prioritized and taken up. Thank God. I'm glad that it is, but it's like, wow, it, I just do not have it in me to do the things that I did. And I am cognitively aware of and thinking of that. And you would think if you've never been pregnant before, 
and I know you've experienced this in your pregnancy too, you would think if you've never been pregnant before that you would just think, well, just do it. I mean, you, you're talking about it. Like, so just still do it. It doesn't matter. Like, come on, like just buck up and do it. Cause that's such our culture. Right. But it's like, Mm -hmm. no, we need to be able to honor these cyclical changes and these, these, it's just the structure of, I mean, this is, I think it's annoying to talk about the patriarchy. Like, I think that that has, that word has gone like really far, but this is kind of one, an example of what they're talking about where like the world has been set up Mm -hmm. in a masculine sense and we, there hasn't been room and we're trying to be, you know, people to change that and be thought leaders here to be like, we need to be doing this because we can't ignore the fact that we are cyclical beings. And how is that Mm -hmm. going to change our production, our productivity and our creativity and our ability to interact and work and thrive? I mean, our inability to just stay thriving in this environment is always going to be impacted if we can't recognize that we have pauses and changes and that we can't go, go, go a hundred percent of the time at the exact same rate. Like men can, we just can't. And Mm -hmm. that's, we shouldn't even have to. And I don't even think that that's cool that we would even try. I know you to be so cool that you can do it a hundred percent of the time. Who cares? You know, I know because we can create life and that's unique to us as women, which is so amazing and powerful. And that should be celebrated more. You know, the, the feminist movement of the last century was all about how to get us out of our innate nature of life creators and not to say that all women want to have babies and and do that. And that's totally fine if they don't, but the women who do are kind of being thrown in the gutters of like, Oh, you want to stay home and have a baby? Oh, what? Like, who are you? You know, like what thing do you have? And you know, it's beautiful for the women who have always wanted to, to do more. You know, we have that ability now in our culture for women to be able to choose. But I think we also need to bring more reverence to the importance of us slowing down as women, the importance of us creating not only a career, but a lifestyle and all the people around us that can help foster more of that feminine energy because I think a big reason why fertility is on the rise or infertility is on the rise is also because of this strong yang, strong masculine energy that women are expected to work and live in. And at the same time, also be just as fertile as we would be if we were living more in a yin environment. And then not to mention birth control and how much that has served this (sighs) industry of women Mm -hmm. acting as if they have no cycle because it really shuts down, you know, you don't have a cycle and you're able to just continue at this sort of flat robotic rate mm-hmm. where we are naturally inherently, I remember the first couple of months I got off of birth control. It was early college and everybody thought I was crazy. I was going to get pregnant and I was like, I'm just not vibing with this anymore. Do you remember that? We were living mm-hmm. in that house together. And I remembered <laughs> kind of being cognizant of watching my just emotions and things change and being like, it wasn't wild. It wasn't out of control. I mean, I did get some acne and different things like that, but I just remember being like, wow, I haven't felt some of the depths of these emotions. It was like my emotional capacity was an inch long and I could bounce up and down between, you know, highs and lows or whatever. And then I just expanded it out to this much larger, higher highs, lower lows. But I would so much rather take that than be in this Mm -hmm. little box. And I was, I enjoyed feeling this change in my body and this kind of rhythm. And, you know, it's like that, that's in our inherent state. There's definitely something to be said about that, valuing that as a culture and we just don't. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, you know, to, to piggyback off of the stress is to talk about just nourishment in general. And so, oh 
you know, stress is something that depletes our battery, right? So if we think about just our whole being is like this energetic battery, it's the battery gets filled up with the foods we eat, the way we are, the sleep we have, it's all of it, right? It's an everything battery, but a big part of our battery is our nourishment, what we actually choose to eat um, and consume. I would say nourishment is not only food, but also what we choose to consume content-wise and the energetics of everybody yes. around us. But when we talk about food in particular, I see and you see as well, so much chronic malnourishment in oh women. Oh my gosh. And I see this in my practice all the time. And just the majority of my, <laughs> the majority of my time in practice is convincing women to eat more. Yeah, I bet it. I, I can totally do that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've worked with vegan communities. I've worked with, um, you know, elite athlete type of communities. I've worked in these worlds where I question often, is this just a socially acceptable form of an eating disorder? And if not, what sad thing have you internalized or have been told that somehow not feeding your body is okay? Because our body needs nourishment. It's like a child. Know. You know, I just, the, the analogy I just always like to like relate to people is just imagine your body as a, as a four-year-old. Just imagine I'm a four-year-old. Like, are you going to force your four-year-old to wake up, not feed him breakfast or her, you know, let's say it's us not let, so wake them up the crack of dawn, not feed her breakfast, chug a bunch of energy drinks and coffee because she's so tired because you didn't feed her, push nor her super well. hard. Yeah. Nor sleep well, push her super hard, make her work all day. Never take breaks. You can't go outside and go on a walk. Oh, you want water? Pfft, yeah. Right. Keep working. There's no time to get up and go to the water fountain. I mean, I literally have patients that can't I even mean, teachers, you guys. Oh my God. Well, teachers, teachers can't drink water. Oh my God. Because they can't break. go to the bathroom. Can you imagine no. your four-year-old no. can't drink water, can't go to the bathroom. You're not, you're barely feeding her lunch. She's exhausted. By the end of the day, you come home, you sit her down in front of a really stressful show, make her scroll on social media and see all of these other kids that are, you know, that she's comparing herself to, keep her up super late, not feed her a good dinner, send her to bed late and do it all over again. And expect her to thrive. Yeah. And do Oh well. my God, you would never do that. That it's just like that's no. to me, that's child abuse. I know. And it we is, do that abuse. to our bodies. <laughs> It's because Ugh. of the, the fat culture or not fat culture, but like the diet culture and the, the fear of being fat and you know, yes, we don't want to be obese. It's not healthy to be obese, but you as a woman are supposed to have curve. Think of the Venus, um, statue that there's different variations of all over the world from different anthropological dig sites and everything that are showing this goddess form that was highly revered and worshiped of larger breasts and large hips and has nourishment on their body. That is the kind of person that's going to survive. If there's a famine, if there's a week where the food is less than it was before <laughs> body tapes like mine and yours are not <laughs> going to totally. be as, you know, sorry, like it's just true. Uh, we would have to be eating a lot more. And I mean, there's something to be said about constitution too, like fast metabolism is being tall, like whatever, whatever. But my point is, is that, but you should see how much I eat. Okay. That's yeah. the thing. Oh, I, I eat I more than my 210 pound husband. <laughs> yeah. You eat so much too. And mm -hmm. I, it's amazing how little people are getting away with in the day and then being confused why they feel the way that they do. Especially well, and protein 
and especially in pregnancy as well. And there's yeah. just really quick, there's this um, woman I have been following on Instagram for a little while named Fallon Day, and we'll link her information in the show notes. She has a cookbook called Batch, and she has a lot of resources about undereating and women and being undernourished and all of the metabolic issues and how actually when you continue or when you begin to nourish yourself, weight will fall off because a lot yeah. of the weight is actually inflammation. I was <laughs> just going to say, you, you say yes. that you know bodies like ours wouldn't survive, and at the same time, you and I, mean, I'm not I, saying that we wouldn't survive, but I'm yeah, just no, saying no. that we don't have a lot of reserve. <laughs> well, but but we're very well nourished, and I think that True. it's a True. common misconception that like, oh, if I eat that much, like if a woman saw how much I ate, and honestly, I I really should probably record it throughout the day and, and post it. If you Do see it. how much we both eat, you would probably automatically think, oh, I'm going to get fat. But just like you said, it's actually the opposite because you give the message to your body that you are well fed consistently, and the body is going to hold on to weight if it doesn't know where its next meal is coming from. If you're 100%. intermittent fasting, if you are restricting calories, if you aren't feeding it well, and tell, let me tell you, a iceberg salad with a few shreds of cheese for lunch is starving. <laughs> like, you know, when I say, oh, you eat a salad for breakfast? Like, that needs to be like the biggest bowl you've ever seen. I mean, you can't put one more bite in your mind and you have protein, you have fat, you have nuts and yeah. seeds and all the things. So Eggs, anyways, an entire avocado, yeah. an entire avocado, like you, your body gets the message that you are well fed. And so it's not going to be holding on to weight as much as it would if you were starving it. It's, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's, it's very accurate. And with fertility, so true. you have to have that message of that repletion that, that charge. Yes. Overabundance yes. and not in you the obesity mean. state because obesity in my mind is also a form of not necessarily choosing the healthiest things for your body. Cause right. a lot of times if you eat an abundance of healthy food, you're not really going to become obese. Obesity often comes from other choices. Typically, you know, there's rare yes. exceptions and, genetics and some hormones, different mm -hmm. things. There's lots of different things that play into it, but we all know those people or those friends we have who just seem to not be able to lose weight and they really don't eat almost anything. And you're like, mm -hmm. how is this even possible? And it's hard because we don't have a crystal ball. We can't do these experiments where we would be like, well, let's just see what would happen if for, you know, nine months you ate 4,000 calories a day and saw what happened mm -hmm. to not, maybe not 4,000, but still, you know, a lot, you ate 2,500 calories every single day, a very high quality nutrient dense food. Yeah, I was going to say it's the food. type of food, not yes. the calories. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and you didn't go do your HIIT workouts at 5am anymore. You went on a walk, a 30 minute mm -hmm. walk once a day. That's it. That's it. Okay. You were sp speaking about stress in all the different ways, the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic, and the physical stressors, like we don't think about that as much anymore, but there is the physical stressors and in the fertility space and in just in women's health in general, the not, you know, hit workouts are not, and spinning and long distance running and marathon training and things are not for every person and not supported in the fertility space in our opinion, I would say, right. Would you agree? Yeah. So it, I teach about this again. I have another course on movement, but I have so many courses. Go check them out. I know. I'm like, I just, I just wish you could it. like have all this information, but yes, it depends on the person and what the situation is. And for some people, those over-exercising practices are messages to the body, just like everything else that you're in danger. So your body thinks, Oh my God, your village is so dangerous. You have to run for an hour every day. <laughs> like, holy crap. 
That's insane. Like you have to get on a bicycle and like you must have to find your food like miles away from where you live. Like you are not in a good place to have a baby. Like what happens if you couldn't ride on that bicycle every day? You're going to die. And so your body interprets it as you are super in a you're in a very bad place to have a baby. Well, and it's more of that oxidation. Like you're saying, if you don't give your body a break and you're just breaking down and you're working so hard and then you're not sleeping as well, Mm -hmm. there needs to be some kind of rule everybody has for themselves. If I don't get six, seven hours of really good sleep, I'm not working out that day. I -hmm. think that that's an okay thing to do because if you just continue to physically stress your body, you will do more harm than good. And now I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, Oh my God, what would I do though? If I couldn't get on and, you know, listen to my Cody Rigsby, who I love as well on the Peloton, he's hilarious, but it's like, (laughs) You, some people, there's, everybody's different, right? Bio individuality, but that mental emotional boost that you get for the endorphin rush needs to be balanced. Like, yes, yes, sometimes is it okay? Of course. But is it every day at 5 a.m. on lack of sleep and then you intermittently fast and you just drink caffeine and then you don't eat the food and then you, you know what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. in a constellation of habits where it becomes detrimental, but we're just saying in general, that there's a common misconception that you need to work out so hard in order yeah. to stay fit and metabolically healthy. And it's just not true, especially right. for reproductive women. Walking is the best thing that you can do, right? Best thing. And again, everything comes back to this battery scale analogy. I wish you could see in my head what I'm seeing. Basically, just imagine the platform <laughs> on the triangle and it's tilting and like you want it tilted up to be battery charged. And when you don't move at all, you are not charging your battery. There is some movement that charges your battery, right? When people just feel a little bit better when they move, there then comes a place where it tips the scale to where excessive movement now is draining that battery. Especially like you said, if you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, because it's all about what are you doing on a day-to-day basis to tip your scale to be energy depletion or or not. So yes, I see this all the time in the infertility space, undernourishment, over-exercise, under-sleep, over-stress, over-work. So overwork, undersleep, oh my gosh, overwork, overexercise, undernourishment, undersleep. And that is an equation of depletion. So what you do is you boost your sleep, you boost your nourishment, you increase your food, you eat three or four meals every day of really highly dense, nutrient-dense food. Sleep eight to nine hours. For fertility, I'm a huge fan of eight to nine hours, not six to seven. You know, do as much as you can. And then move for sure, but be mindful of, of how much you're moving and where your depletion is and, and just taking time to slow down and rest. And yes, do a lot of women go on vacation and just relax and get pregnant sometimes. And it's because they've just shifted that, that ratio, but it doesn't mean that you need to go on vacation and it doesn't mean that just relaxing is always the answer. But I really want you to think about your health, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, this applies of where are you at in that energy depletion charge space? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that's a really great little, it's like a seesaw diagram Mm -hmm. and we have to be cognizant and aware that it's going to shift and change every day sometimes and throughout Mm -hmm. the week and the months and not be beat ourselves up, but that the overall net effect is more on the repleted side than the depleted side. Mm -hmm. And what that phrase, you know, just relax <laughs> really means if you unpack it is, is it's profound. It is mm-hmm. really a big deal thing, but nobody obviously thinks about all of those kinds of details when you hear that and it feels really invalidating. You just kind of want to slap the person who said it to you. But 
hopefully this has been helpful and has given you some inspiration and some support to go out and really think about the way that you're living a life and to prioritize feeling super nourished, this fertile garden, an overabundance of energy stores and, you know, reducing the things in your life as much as you can that are depleting that energy pack so that you can have mm -hmm. the excess stores for creating a baby because you need them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, oh, I know I've been plugging my courses a lot, but um, I understand that stress is a really abstract idea. So I, I created a really helpful, I think, resource that pack that unpacks stress, what exactly it is, what exactly is happening in the body and how exactly you can actually reduce your stress because it is so, I think it's so confusing when people are just like, Oh, just reduce your stress. Reduce your I'm like, stress. that's a good point. What it's does so that true. even mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean? And I'm okay. I am masculine in certain ways where I'm like, well, tell me what to do because I don't know what you mean by that vague thing that you are saying, like reduce your stress. And it's not just like go meditate. There's a lot more happening. There's a lot more for you to understand. And I know one of the girls who, who did one of my courses, she just messaged me yesterday and she's like, oh my God, the stress course is like blowing my mind. So if you guys want actual actionable steps, I have a mini course called the stress survival guide. So check it out. It can be really helpful. And I give you practical step-by-step -step checklist action steps of exactly what to do to really actually reduce your stress. So I know I created that because I get it. It's very, it's the one thing that is affecting fertility more than anything. And I feel like there's no helpful resources. So, That's so true. I'm so glad you did that. I didn't know that you had that. And yeah, I, mean, I, I just launched them all yesterday. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Good for you. Congratulations. That's a huge thing. And I think that it's almost like this sort of course that anyone could take and really benefit from, but yes, especially in this motherhood realm, I mean, I could use that right now yeah. and, and I'll give it to you and managing through things. You don't have to do that. I'll support you. <laughs> no, <it's okay. laughs> we just keep trading money back and forth <laughs> here. You can have this here. I'll have that. Um, anyways. Okay. This was really great. Thank you. I hope that this was helpful. And, um, it's fun to talk about some of these like, you know, euphemisms that are used in the terminology and breaking them down because they do have, you know, there's a reason why that, that statement has stood the test of time, but there's a lot more that goes into it besides the four words or whatever. <laughs> yes, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you. Please remember that the ideas and views presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. Now go have a wonderful day. You've got this.